Hello, everybody. We somehow made it through last week with like three major events in Florida and, you know, a hurricane and all that good stuff. And I don't know about everybody else, but I'm still, I'm still trying to get catch up on sleep for some reason. Uh, you know, week out of the office and then it all piles back when you come back. But for everyone that uh, was able to join us down in Florida at the uh, MSP community block party, man, that was awesome. I mean, when was the last time you were able to be that up front close to a, like, you know, a band that you like heard on the radio and grew up with kind of thing. So that was awesome. The All-American Rejects absolutely rocked it. And thank you to everybody who got their shoes wet and jumped on buses and came down through some pretty crazy weather. And, uh, you know, thanks to, you know, Connect Wise who worked with us to get those buses in and out of their, of their conference for the people that were at IT Nation and, uh, and to all the vendors that, you know, trusted us with a little bit of time and money to put this together. Uh, thank you too, because couldn't do that without you. So if you didn't make it and you want to relive that event, uh, mspinitiative.com, um, go to our Facebook page, the album with all of the photos. I think there's like 800, I think somebody told me. I think you, Sade, uh, are there. I, I, I have this side project I'm working on. I'm getting all the clips and videos that everybody recorded. I'm trying to like stitch them together to kind of rebuild the uh the conference i'm sorry the concert uh so once i do that that'd be cool because it was absolutely awesome those guys you know sometimes you hear bands that are not as good as what you remember on the radio or on you know the mp3 player or on your itunes account but they actually did uh pretty good pretty good job pretty good pretty good concert so on your mp3 player how old are you george yeah, I still, I still, I still keep those around for Doomsday when iTunes goes down, and you know you can't do the streaming services. But I, I, I digress. You're, uh, very last. So this the, session uh, and every other session will be available on MSPinitiative.com under sessions. It has every session we've done back until March 2020. Uh, block parties, right? We finished Orlando again. Go to the Facebook page; you'll see all the stuff there. We have one more Channel Strong tour coming up. Believe it or not, right here, not next week, but the week after. So eat your turkey. You know, get your sleep in. If you're in Florida, so it's like Tampa, Orlando, Fort Lauderdale, um, not in that order. And in Atlanta, we're coming to you. MSPs are hosting us in their parking lots. You know, call it like the end of year tailgate tour, for lack of a better term. All are invited. Uh, we just want to close out the year strong uh, and, you know, obviously network with people and kind of wrap up some of those, uh, hopefully those conversations from last week. Um, so channelstrongtour.com, you'll see all that information there. Don't forget to register. Jason is my special guest of the day. Jason Bystrock over at DNH, um, strongest distributor in the uh, in the sandbox uh, that we probably all know. And if not, we'll learn a little bit about them today. But Jason, talk to me about how you uh, how your last week went, man. You were there. You saw it. You lived it. Yeah. Well, George, are, you, first are all, your feet still hurting? I think everybody's feet are hurting, but in a good way. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me today. And also, thanks for all the hard work that you and your team did to, to help with the, the block party last week. It was great. I know we were down at the Acronis event in Miami and then made our way up to the ConnectWise IT Nation events, a busy week for the DNH crew. But uh, it was awesome. And again, kudos to your team for helping to, to keep it fun. Yeah, that was that was a, the Acronis event. Actually, uh, I stopped by, kind of wanted to check it out. I told those guys I was going to swing by on the way into Orlando. And that was actually a pretty well attended event. I think there was a heavy international crowd. If I got my bearing straight, kind of reminded me of a quasi Microsoft inspire ish 
um, type crowd, <laughs> excuse me, but it was pretty well attended. I mean, they were able to get most of their conference off before the weather kind of kicked in, which was, uh, which was good. And I know they bust a ton of people <clears throat> in between Fort Lauderdale and Orlando to go into IT nation, which was a nice touch. Yeah. hundred percent. It was a great event. I, I think I heard it was over 1600, you know, partners and MSPs at that event, which was awesome. Uh, you're right. The, the weather didn't really impact it. They did have to move some of their stuff indoors, unfortunately, which, uh, always stinks when you're up from New York area where like I am, you like, you get down and see that beach down there and we didn't get to do yeah. much of that, but, uh, the content and the, the I'm, from, I'm from Philly area, as we all know, and that's not too much different than what, I mean, other than I think that I read properly that you're getting six feet of snow before it the keeps, next NFL game. Yeah. It keeps going up. I mean, now I'm hearing 12 feet, but who knows? We get these Lake effect snow bands up in, uh, in the Buffalo market up here and, and they usually hit South of the city, but this time they're going to hit the city. And it uh, could be anywhere from, you know, one inch to, to four feet, it sounds like. So uh, do they play in the snow at four feet or do they move the game? This football, George. Of course we play. <laughs> this, right? it's, we're playing Cleveland, the, the Bills, this week. So uh, it's gonna be the be we're both used to snow. All right. Lots of running the ball, I think. I remember the snowball game back in Philadelphia with LaShawn McCoy. That was good times. Yeah. And your Eagles are on a roll this year. Maybe not so much last week, but uh, – you know, that's uh, one of the teams to beat for sure this year. So congrats wow. on that. Let's let's hope your quarterbacks, I know, I guess elbow gets better. And um, and yeah, I mean, listen, I know, you know, they all talk about the Miami Dolphins undefeated, this, that, and the other. But like, to be honest with you, you know, the claim to fame is the Super Bowl. Like, I don't care if I lose two games, three games, one game. Get, get, get me a trophy and a parade. I'm good. Spot on. <laughs> Hundred percent. So, Jason, you, you've been you've been around the channel for a long time. I don't know if everybody knows you. Uh, I surely do. Um, for anybody that hasn't bumped into you in the hallway at an event or didn't realize kind of your history, you know, if you don't mind kind of sharing, like I don't know, your journey, right? How did you get to your point today, right? You've been in technology for some time. Yeah, absolutely, George. Um, so I, I did uh, over 20, about 24 years with another distributor is kind of how I got started in IT. You know, the last 10 years where I ran their cloud business, uh, which involved a lot of MSP. So really got to love that community. I moved over to Axiant and had a chance to work with some great guys like uh, Adam Slutskin and Matt Nattrab and that crew over there for a while. And almost four years ago, I joined DNH to really uh, enhance and accelerate what we're doing here with our cloud and services business. And I now lead what we call our modern solutions business unit at DNH. That's cool. So you literally built a a new team there, right? To like build that out, right? Yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, um, you know, when I came in, we had like seven people that they gave me on the team and, you know, it was great. We built out a nice cloud practice, but now we're about 150 people strong in the business unit. We, um, we, the way we go to market, we support four categories. So it's applications, uh, collaboration solutions, security, and then data center infrastructure. And we really focus on, um, you know, having one phone call that can help with multiple delivery models and financing options. So, you know, we don't bounce you around. You, you call up you, based on the category of products you need. They can support any of the vendors in that category. Uh, they can put together a solution that's uh, on-premises, in the cloud, a hybrid. They help you wrap around your managed services or your professional services. We can supplement those where needed. We got a great program called uh, X as a Service is a program that we can actually finance the whole solution together for you, which is pretty cool. And then put it in a monthly payments and 
accelerate the cash flow for the MSPs, which they love. Well, let's be honest. Cash flow is king. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of MSPs, um, and throughout my journey, right? It feels like a little over 20 years now. I think a lot of MSPs try and take that on their own sometimes, right? Because they think, oh, you know, no worries. And then they realize that, you know, sometimes on some of the low margin items, they have to bundle into some of the other projects. It's probably not the best way at scale. Um, so unless you're really cash flow positive and you have the money to do it, and I would argue <laughs> with the market the way that it is today, you want to keep your dollars close. Um, yeah, that that sounds really good to me. Yeah, I mean, it, there's never one size fits all. It's really about being flexible with different delivery options, different services, wraparounds, and financing programs, right? Yeah. Uh, because, you know, it, it sometimes is deal by deal with MSPs, right? They might want to do it all on their own on one, but they might need help with another one, whether it be the financing or the services. So, uh, you know, that's why we step up and, and you really work hard to understand their business model and support their specific opportunities that they're bringing to the table. So, like, it's funny, I'm, I'm here in suburban Philadelphia. I think DNH is headquartered like an hour and change from me driving, right? Like out in Harrisburg area. Um, yep. Should probably take a trip down there sometime because they're so close. But I, I think DNH, I always thought, you know, laptops and switches and all that other good stuff, right? That comes in a box. I didn't realize you guys went too deep into the subscription stuff. Or I mean, it seems like it's like on the newer side of things. Yeah, I mean, I think our, our legacy was very heavily indexed in endpoint devices and peripherals. And, you know, we, we tend to be one of the top distributors, you know, number one or two pretty much every month. With a lot of the key vendors there, we still are. But, uh, you know, where I came in and we've been working hard to, to really advance that modern solutions business practice and some great vendors that we're doing some, some incredible growth with, uh, such as Cisco, such as Microsoft, such as Hewlett Packard Enterprise, uh, right? And a lot of others uh, that we look after, about 100 vendors in our portfolio for, for that part of the business. And one of the real keys is that we've got a great uh, cloud marketplace platform that automates a lot of the purchasing, provisioning, subscription management, and invoicing. We integrate deeply into MSP tools like ConnectWise, like Datto, right? And uh, it's kind of cool too that the MSPs can actually integrate and wrap their own services into our platform to bundle them. So that's a bit of a differentiator. And then they can wipe cool. the thing. Yeah, so we really purpose-built the whole platform specifically for MSPs. That's, that's our sweet spot. So... I'm going to go off the beaten track here. So, I mean, hopefully NCE is a little bit behind us. I know that Microsoft kind of put, you know, like, hey, if you didn't migrate by this point, it's okay. We'll still let you run for a while. I know, I think I saw somewhere that come January 1, like any of the special kind of programs and escalators and stuff that they do will just not work on the older stuff. Did you guys, like, how did you see that process on your end, right? I mean, it's not just you, the whole you know, world had to deal with those changes coming down from Microsoft, you know, like, you know, I think a lot of people with a lot of different platforms struggled with the new SKUs and the terms and the lengths and, you know, all that other stuff that comes into trying to get that into their PSAs and their you know, like agreement management systems, you know, I, hopefully we're, we're past that point. How did you guys deal with that? Yeah, I, I don't know that we're fully past it, honestly, but, you know, I would tell you that you know, we worked really closely with Microsoft to understand what was coming when they first announced NCE, which I guess it's almost two years ago. Um, you know, with the platform, we engineered it uh, to make sure that it's got all the proper rules and security procedures to protect MSPs. 
you know, honestly, the last thing you want is some, one of your sales reps or even maybe you extend it to your end customer and they're canceling seats that's going to you know, cause a penalty for you or you still have to pay for, right? So we kind of, you know, foolproof the whole platform to build around NCE rules. We work to educate a lot of our partners about, you know, the rules behind that, what they need to do, what the incentives look like. And, and you're right, as of right now, uh, January 1st is the kind of the looming date where Microsoft will be eliminating all of the backend incentives for the uh, old style subscriptions for Microsoft Modern Workplace 365, right? So if yeah. you don't go to NCE, you're definitely at risk for losing out on your backend incentives. Uh, we certainly are helping partners to prevent that by moving those over. And uh, our platform has uh, very easy conversion mechanisms to just, you know, with a couple of mouse clicks, you can change the subscription. So definitely something that the MSPs want to be looking for. Yeah, I think that that's... Um... I think that that was a little bit frustrating for a lot of the people, even a lot of people joined these calls. Cause it was like, Hey, we all moved everything to get all this stuff done. And then all of a sudden they were like, Oh, it's okay. If you didn't get it done. And we're like, wait a minute. So I got penalized for being ahead of time. What happened there? But I digressed. Um, so big picture, right? MSPs have a lot of moving parts. I, I don't think as you know, every other conversation seems to be about security. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to not have that you know, you know, somewhere in the mix. So, you know, but I, I almost think that too much focus, I mean, I'm not saying security is not important. It clearly is focal, but you still got to run the other parts of your business, right? Like the other stuff didn't just disappear, right? The day-to-day -day stuff, the plumbing stuff, the, you know, end user help desk and all that other thing. So like when you're talking to MSPs and you talked to a ton last week, clearly, but what are the other challenges that seem to be coming down their way? Because, you know, it seems like there's no one, you know, it's like all, all roads lead to Rome, but not everybody takes the same path, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels like, and I think a lot of the MSPs will agree, is that the responsibilities just keep growing. Like, people think that every single thing that goes on with technology now is owned by the MSPs. And in some ways it is, right? You sign up for that. You know, so, and I think of some of the things that are, are, are challenging, definitely security. You know, we're hearing, for example, that you know, with, with more MSPs getting into things like Microsoft Azure and AWS, right, that there's security risks on people spinning up mass amounts of infrastructure in those public cloud providers. You've got to make sure you've got the right platform security to lock that down. So that's definitely keeping them up. You, know, you think of the pandemic and, and, you know, it used to be like you managed an office space, right, for, for somebody. Now that perimeter is extended out to people working at home and crazy hours. So your support desk, your tools that you're using suddenly change quite a bit. You know, people moving into cloud, uh, you know, and how do you add value and manage all those different cloud applications or infrastructure that are happening? So, you know, I think lastly, even, um, you know, um, you think about video collaboration becoming a, a, a necessity because of hybrid work post pandemic. And, you know, I think the, the, the end clients are looking at MSPs to say, hey, how do I light this thing up so that I've got a common platform, whether it be Teams or Zoom or, or Cisco WebEx or whatever, you know, that can work on my mobile device, my laptop, work it from home, work it from the coffee shop, conference rooms, huddle rooms, you know, and they're turning to MSPs to, to solve for that. So those are some of the conversations we're having, you know, at DNH to, you know, help them figure that out and navigate it. And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that anyone's got it all figured out, but I feel like we're working closely with uh, some great MSPs to help solve a lot of that. Yeah, I, definitely. To your, you know, the first thing you said is super true, right? The MSPs, you know, kind of still under that, hey, I'm bundling all these, pro you know, you know, things underneath of me. 
And like, hey, if it has a blinking light, then it's my problem syndrome. I think over time, people have realized that they can't cover everything, right? And like maybe doing that creates a lot more liability than they're probably either realizing or comfortable with. So I think the business model over the many, many years has shifted and morphed and changed. I know Keith Nelson, who's on the line, says, hey, stop doing the blue light special. You know, differentiate yourself based on actual business value. That doesn't mean that the other pieces don't need to have checked and handled too, right? Yeah, we're, we're definitely seeing more partnering too, which is interesting. It used to be, you know, you're an MSP, you just did it all. You hired the people, they had the skills and they did it. But we're seeing, you know, whether it be for security, which can get complex, uh, a lot of the MSPs need to become MSSPs and partnering with people that can actually help watch some of the blinking lights and remediate security incidents or, you know, maybe somebody that's doing level one help desk support or overnight support or things like that so they can get better scale. So we're starting to, you know, aggregate a number of different managed services and managed security services to kind of backstop them. And again, it's not one size fits all. It's about consulting with that partner and deciding, you know, can we supplement their services capabilities to help them get scale and better profitability? Yeah, I think that's the... That's the big question mark, isn't it? Profitability, right? I don't, you know, I know you got all these great, you know, organizations and you know, kind of groups out there that you know try and help people focus on: Are you actually making money? Are your accounts actually generating profit dollars, or are you, at the end of the year, looking at the bank account, finding out that you're you're working for free? Um, you know, that's very. I'm sure that's very frustrating when you you find out at the end of the year that you're you know you're negative on a lot of accounts because you're burning more time. Or quite frankly, on the flip side, they're not capturing all of the expenses and invoicing that they should. And so as a result, you know, they end up losing revenue that they should have invoiced for. Yeah, it's it's becoming, it's, it's a very financially intense business being an MSP, right? And, you know, I think it's a combination of, you know, having the right tool sets to be able to manage that and understand and track all that and then the right skills to apply it. I think there's a lot of good work being done by different peer groups and, and consultants out there. And I know all that stuff's expensive, right? And, um, you know, but I think, you know, picking and choosing where, when you make those types of investments to scale your business is so important. Yeah, hundred percent. So <clears throat> if I were out there and I'm like, Hey, what specifically, like, what are the top the couple of things, three, four things that if I think I could use help with where, where did DNH come in and help fill some gaps for me? Sure. Well, I think, uh, you know, number one is that, you know, MSPs are definitely being requested and required to provide a lot more software and, and, and cloud solutions. Our cloud marketplace being fully automated uh, and integrated with common MSP tools makes it really easy to do that. And again, that platform is built for MSPs. You know, secondly, uh, we, we talked about X as a service before, right? Um, it's kind of complex to put a, a full solution bundle together and then figure out how to price it in a monthly subscription model. Uh, we built a tool called our X as a service tool, right? Uh, that can, you know, allow MSPs to pick a, a hardware device, right? And then literally takes them through a walkthrough of all the different services and software components that are common add-ons. And then, um, uh, you know, shows right away what the price is per month to be able to do that. And they can even save it as a quote and processes in order. So we're seeing a lot of success there. And, and again, that program provides uh, upfront payments for the full term of the agreement, which is pretty cool because they get cash flow acceleration. So yeah. the marketplace, the exit service tool. And I think the, the big third thing is that, you know, we have built out a great portfolio of MSP software and services. 
you know, that we can put together uh, that are more for them to run their business. So, you know, the software or tools, um, uh, a lot of different vendors that we've got in there that they can use to provide automation or remote monitoring, support, ticketing, things like that. And then the services, again, we can step in and, and actually provide some of the labor to run some of that stuff for them uh, to supplement what they're doing. So again, that's all about working with them to understand their profitability and you know, and, and where they scale and, and where they have SLAs that are difficult to meet that we can help them plug that in. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So, you know, guys, you know, we're going to you know, make sure every, you know, everybody can jump in, obviously, and talk as we normally are for the people live on the call. If you haven't looked at DNH, give them a look, see if they have what you need. I, you know, it's kind of nice to have some of the still traditional hardware things that you need to order have to come from somewhere. And then now that they kind of have some of the services stuff in there, you might be able to kind of you know, take a lot of pieces and check the boxes here. Um, so, but you don't know until you look, right? So I assume, Jason, it's not hard to go, you know, knock on the door and say, hey, what's on your line card? Let's take a look. Yeah, it's so easy. I mean, www.dnh.com is the website. I'm happy to talk to anybody. You can email me at jbystrak, B-Y-S-T-R-A-K, uh, at dnh.com. Happy to get you up. We give everybody a dedicated sales rep, um, all based out of your primarily Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. They're all U.S.-based folks that, you know, that we assign to, to support you. And, and again, we can give you the combination of all the hardware that you want uh, pretty much across the board, as well as, uh, you know, any of the cloud and services piece. And, and we, we feel we really do understand the, SM, uh, the SMB market, the MSPs that support that market. That's, that's our sweet spot. Awesome. Keith Nelson, you finish all those cigars from IT Nation, buddy? Getting close, you know, 25 doesn't last long, George. You are you are a connoisseur, my friend. I know you love those cigars. Yeah, it's interesting what he brings up because I think what's going on is as we have a little bit of an economic slowdown or whatever the correct political word to say is, people are getting laid off. We'll say, and it's a recession until you're laid off and it's a depression. Um, but I think that he he's on to what MSPs need to do. And the worst part we can do is MSPs is encumber cost to us because we're always looked at as a cost center. So when we bundle these packages together into business process enhancement, you're offloading the cost onto sales or finance or, or production or, or manufacturing. And so um, it's not like we're, we're not the ones going to the well for money. They are. And we're just putting in the back end support and package to implement it. So I've always said we need the underlying magic things MSPs do. I think it's our presentation on how we do it. When you go into finance, especially in these tough times and say, I want to add some super security stuff, they go, you sold me super security stuff last year. Why do I need new super security stuff? But when you're talking about it in enhancing the existing business flow, working with partners, their business partners, not ours, and and and, and lowering the risk surface, then you have a conversation we'll talk about. I, I think one of the challenges, I mean, listen, technology is constantly growing. It's not shrinking, it's growing. We know this, right? But to your point, Keith, right? Like, if, you know, at what point is there a balancing act, right? I think there always is, but, you know, to that specific concept, right? Like, you know, your customers going to continue needing more and more services as time goes on because things get more complex and there's going to be more tools to handle those complexities. But like, there has to be an affordability part in there too, right? Like, 
people need to understand the expectation around where their spend's going. You know, do you still put into your, your situation that there's a, like an annual percentage increase that's still happening? Or how are you like, because I know a lot of MSPs continue that increase and they try and work within those additional dollars rather than go back and having to actually add an into uh, you know, a completely new addendum to whatever their you know agreement uh, services package is. I know there's a, a fine line, but you can't always go back and ask for more. I think there's got to be some sort of you know, realistic time planning around that. I, I like to go with, if you're making more, you can ask for more. And that's kind of my back-end philosophy. If I'm against a baseline, so your income's not going to improve because you're my customer, right? Your income's not going to improve. Your efficiency's not going to improve. Then all of a sudden I'm a cost bearing. And as soon as I ask for money, you're going, hey, now you're in my pocket. You're in my profit pocket. But if I walk in there and say, I've improved your capacity, I've improved your efficiencies. I've, I've enhanced your workflow and I've allowed you to take on new customers because of this efficiency. Now there's a bigger bucket for us to share into. So that's kind of my philosophy on it is if we're stagnant buckets, yeah, then we're, we're the first one says, hey, that's just expense. That, that looks like we should cut there. It's almost like uh, I'm obviously a big sports fan. You know, so are you, but so is Jason. But, you know, you, you like how the variability <laughs> Well, we don't like the same teams, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> you, I, you, you're realizing how some of the major sports, you know, kind of, you know, guys are sell. They're doing a very variation in their pricing based on how you know important or how well attended the game might be or not, right? So, like the way you're approaching it is like, hey, you know, it's like, hey, if I'm making you more money, then I should be able to get more rather than a static price. And I think that that's kind of counter to a lot of how MSPs usually sell their services. Right, you have to stay. You have to be able to stack it against measurable results. Yeah, like where guys stop being late to work because of our dispatch system. How much did that save you? Well, that's a lot more than you paid me. It's interesting. I would love to be able to have MFTs go back and be like, "Hey, I made you a ton of money this month. I'm going to send you a bigger invoice. That'd be cool." I'm sure that, uh, but there's a counter to that. Hey, I I didn't meet my you know my. Yeah, I mean, you know, your system was down for half the month, so I guess I gotta take less. Yeah, yeah, that that is, yeah. I mean, we have SLAs that say if that's that's why we brag about installed in two thousand, no loss of data, no missed dispatches, no crashes, and that's you know that's why I spend a lot of time engineering that, and and yeah, because the rewards there, but wow. they they spent that money because we had an established reward. It was not just, here's a new little, you know, widget we can sell you. It was, we can get these guys to work and stop paying you having to pay overtime and pay them while they're running to work. And that's, that's a big, you know, that's, that's a measurable with Boeing. We can get you yeah. paid by the air force 90 days earlier on the C-17. That's cool. That's a cool that's case money button. in your pocket. Um, it would be, you know, I know a lot of people, Jason, especially when new security stuff's rolled out, because then user largely views these security things as additional steps they need to take in order to just do the stuff they've been doing this whole time. So like, you know, like to Keith's point, like the actual experience to then user may be, <laughs> you know, like you're trying to make that as best you can, but at the end of the day, like some extra steps need to be taken in order to make sure that you're not, you know, doing things in a way that you leave the door open. And we all have heard, 
many horror stories, I'm sure, about bad things that have happened. And usually those bad things happen because somebody in between the seat and the keyboard pressed the wrong button. Yeah, I think you're right on that, George, 100%. Keith's spot on too. But, you know, the one thing about security, I mean, like his point about if you can save them money and actually help the business piece, that's awesome. And if you can justify and document that, that could turn into cash for you, right? But security, I think even, even you know, difficult clients, let's say, understand that security is a constantly changing landscape that's getting more and more complex, that there's new types of threats, uh, new bad actors out there that are they've got to prevent against, and then new technologies evolving to prevent all that. I mean, like one of the things that seems so simple and basic about, you mentioned the keyboard piece, right, is that more and more of the security companies we're working with are just offering basic training you know, that goes across the company, right? Video-based training delivered and things like that. Well, there's a cost to it, but, you know, the results are, are very positive in preventing your company like that. And, and let's face it, in IT, I think we've always been good at selling things where we can scare people a little bit, whether it be security or data protection and backup and, you know, things like that. And, and frankly, it's part of the job, right? Because bad things do happen. And, uh, you know, it's like an insurance policy. Nobody wants to pay for it, but you definitely need it. Well, I would argue that the mainline news whether you like them or not, has helped spread some of the more, you know, kind of bigger ones that have gotten hit, right? And I think that that is probably a good thing, right, for people who are going in trying to sell security services. But you know, at the end of the day, I, I, you know, my big challenge, and, and I mentioned this in the last call, but I'll bring it up now, is as, you know, everybody thinks, hey, you know, down economy, but there's a lot of opportunity. There, there absolutely is. But a lot of the people in the sales chair or responsible for sales at the MSP IT services provider level, you know, it takes additional, you know, I don't know, tricks in the bag, a little bit of experience, like super overcome objections now, right? Because now the check signers are a little bit more safeguarded around the money that they are going to spend or not, right? So I don't know, like, usually that's a time thing, right? You got to try, you got to fail, you got to try again. But going into the next, I don't know, year or two with, you know, the economy sounding like it's going the way that it's going to continue going, like, I'm not sure that the average MSP owner-led sales guy or even just the sales guy in an MSP has had to work that hard in order to get something across the line. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, I think it's also, uh, it, it's always really hard to, and expensive sometimes to do marketing, if you will. And part of part of a good marketing strategy for MSPs, we find, is education uh, to their end clients, right? Like, you know, just like, hey, here are some of the security things that are happening in the world. Here are some of the data issues and breaches and, you know, and, and business failovers that happened, uh, you know, and keeping them educated about that so that when you present those technologies and those investments required, you know, you're not coming in blind. You know, that's why even like the, the, the business reviews that MSPs need to do are so critical that you're not just showing up one day and saying, Hey, I haven't talked to you in a year. It's time to, you know, I want to sell you some more stuff. Right. That never works. Uh, one of the things we're doing, I know there's some other companies that do it pretty well too, is, you know, content syndication. Cause it's tough for an MSP to find time to let's go, let go write an article about security threats or aggregate some news stories you know, we do a lot of that stuff and have a content syndication, you know, uh, opportunity where you can push that out to the end clients as an MSP, right, with your brand on it. And I think that kind of education is just so critical. Hmm. Yeah, that's it's really interesting because content creation is very time consuming. No question about that. I think part of the problem, let me ask you this question. It's a little wrinkle. Um, you know, we'd love to hear the crowds, uh, you know, comment on this. 
I feel like in past years, if a customer of yours ran into a problem, you didn't necessarily put that out on a billboard and say, hey, look over here. But I feel like today when that customer is like, you don't have to go to the news headline, they're the accounting office down the street or the lawyer around the corner. And then they were the people that didn't do what they needed to do and they got hit. And like, that's more of a, hey, that's on the home front, right? Like, if you don't believe me, maybe you want to go talk to them and I'll, I'll intro you and you can hear it, you know, point blank. I feel like that tide has shifted, right? Especially with the security stuff. Customer testimonials are powerful. I think there's not a better way to, you know, show your wider customer base or potential customers the kind of work that you do is when you can, you know, show how you solve a specific problem or an incident for a client, right? That saved them time, money, maybe even saved their whole business. Yeah. Matthew, Matthew Fox is always eating a sandwich in the background on these calls. He says that those New Yorkers are hard to sell to even in the good year. So I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with the economy being down. I'm sure he's in the background saying, oh, my God, he called my name. That's all right, Matthew. I'll, I'll leave you alone, buddy. But if you want to come and chat, and all good. I mean, I you know, have you experienced because you know you're you're in upstate New York, you know, all the way up in Buffalo. Actually, I don't know if that even counts as upstate. But do you feel like different parts of the country have different buying behaviors? Meaning, like, do you see like acceleration in certain areas versus not? Because you're doing business on a macro scale, right? So I don't know what you see that we don't. Yeah, I think to an extent, there are definitely different trends in different geographies, you know, certain areas that are more tech savvy and willing to adopt newer technologies versus are more of a wait and see type of approach, right? Uh, you know, I think even the economy of, uh, impacts different parts of, uh, of the country in different ways, right? Based on, you know, where we're seeing macroeconomic issues like that, no question. Um, you know, I think, you know, but I think the MSPs tend to, you know, at least the ones we work with, tend to be more localized, right? And they know how to respond and react to that type of stuff. So when we have some discussions, you know, a lot of times we'll collaborate on what's happening with that and how we can, you know, help them to you know, still continue to push forward with the growth goals that they have. Yeah. So with the, the X as a service program that you were mentioning earlier, mm-hmm. how does that differ from like traditional leasing or financing, right? Because like, Obviously, everybody's credit's probably now in question and, you know, given the current interest rates, stuff like that. So if I were to like go to a customer and they're like, "Mm, not sure I want to spend all this at once. What is that program? How does that work? Like, what are the steps? Yeah. Well, if you just want a monthly payment, you can do that with a lease or with X as a service, right? Both will accomplish that. But when a couple of differences with X as a service, first of all, because it's got a minimum of services attached to it, meaning... Uh, maintenance or warranty for the, the period. Uh, it's got support for the period and it has uh, prepaid asset disposition, right? So at the end of the time commitment, the, the term, that, that technology is refresh, right? And they have an option to keep it going. Because those are in there, it actually ca- uh, counts as an operating expense, which is tax deductible, right? I'll asterisk check your, with your accountant before you take my word for it. But the end client gets a tax deduction on that because it's an expense because it's delivered as a service versus most traditional leases would not qualify. The IRS changed the tax, code, tax codes a few years back, um, you know, because people were just using leases to try and then trying to deduct that as a tax uh, advantage. Really, it was still a capital purchase, a capital expense. So they close that and X as a service is a way to reopen that back up and, and you know, likely get some, some tax advantages for your client. So that's a big thing. And then I think for the partner, I think, you know, a couple of the big things is bundling in the services with the hardware. 
it makes you stickier. It creates a refresh cycle uh, where you get to have another transaction at the end of that mostly because nobody wants all, all the hardware removed at the end of that, right? They're going to say, yeah, definitely keep the services going, right? And it allows you to bundle and attach those services so that you can sometimes command just a bit more margin than maybe you would have if you had to kind of itemize those separately. So there's a lot of good reasons um, you know, to do that. And I'll tell you the OEMs we work with on the hardware side, and a lot of it's endpoint devices, right? And we can we can do access service for anything hardware wise, but it's largely uh, you know notebooks and desktops, and um, you know vendors like HPI, Lenovo, Dell, you know they're all about uh, you know putting things in that model because it actually speeds up the refresh cycle. So you think about you know the average notebook I think we saw last like people keep it for like five and a half years. You know if you put them on a three year access as a service program you know, you get a new transaction every three years where you get all that revenue and profit up front each time. Whereas if you wait the full five and a half years, that's a lot of time to not sell something, right? So, yeah, there's a lot of benefits to the MSPs to, to move to that model too. Wow, I didn't realize that that was the actual math on that, right? They always said, hey, the manufacturers always want you to switch every two, three years. But I didn't realize the average was five and a half years. Ah, you wouldn't believe some of the old gear that we're pulling out, you know, with this program. That's just shocking, right? Uh, yeah, but I mean, it's a, it's a great it's a labor cost at the end user from using outdated equipment that frustrates the user, which causes them to circumvent all your automated systems you built in because their laptop sucks. If you're going like you could buy one every year to offset the labor cost from bad equipment. And I don't think enough MSPs point that out to their end customers. I'm not costing you money. I'm saving you money because your most important, your, your biggest line item is labor. And all, any business you pull up, basically, most of them, you go, your labor and your burden rate on labor is where your money is. Your little bit of laptops you bought over there is nothing. And if you can keep your, your clients using your automated system, happy, feeling good, and efficient, with a with a cycling refresh rate, that's huge. That's huge. Yeah. And what about you as an MSP when you got to go manage, you know, seventy four different uh, models of laptops or something, right? I mean, it's like that raises your cost to to, to patch yeah. it, support those things too. So it's a win win. They get better technology and productivity. You get to hopefully reduce your, you know, cost operating. Yeah, the, the best one is when they got the the Best Buy Black Friday email. Come on. <laughs> Went to the store. They got it half. Well, we don't. We don't all have George money, so you know. It's all... <laughs> oh yeah, I get those emails every day. They don't wait till Black Friday for me. Yeah, yeah. But so... I mean, how? I mean, the whole bring your own device thing. I don't think has turned out as well as everybody thought that it would. I think it's been challenging at best, especially when the home user, like even when a business ships a computer to the person working at home a pretty good idea of what they have right and try and walk them through it or maybe do the webcam thing you know like a facetime style thing right to figure out what's broken but especially if they come up with any sort of thing underneath the sun yeah that's that's fun especially especially when corporate it or even the msp has no clue what the networking is at the home at the home office and like they're trying to explain to you that nothing's working and you're like i don't even know what you have where's the router oh that's in the basement can you imagine that at scale with every single device I think I don't think it actually works. No, you know, the bring your own device in the real world is really the guy. Can I put my phone on your network? I really rarely see someone bringing, you know, their um, if they bring in their own, like a Mac guy goes into says, I'm going to we it's kind of 
virtually a business now company computer. The ownership really doesn't matter. It's got our agent, our antivirus, our network. We're scanning it. You may lose your data because now you're working on a quasi-company computer. I, I haven't seen in the real world anything besides phones or tablets being prevalent. Hold on. Let's, let me throw a wrinkle. Let me throw a real-world wrinkle at you, Jason. So you go into this you know, as a service, X as a service. This device goes to somebody working out of a home office. What happens if the equipment never made it back at the end, right? You say that you have like this disposal thing built into it. What if it never got turned back in? What what happens then? Yeah, I mean, there's agreements and there's some flexibility in how we structure those two, but there's an agreement that it's got to come back or somebody's liable for it, right? You know, 100%. But there's different ways to structure it to reduce that liability or even eliminate it as well. So, um, you know, it would be so easy just to have a one size fits all program all the time, but it just doesn't work like that in the real world. Yeah, I can tell you for a fact, just talking to all the people that we talk to on a regular basis. I mean, the whole hybrid working thing, yeah, it's not going anywhere. We know that, but like people don't turn their stuff back in. I don't care whether they got a shipping label or they got to ship it on their own. It really doesn't matter. Sometimes it just never shows up. No, you're, you're right. You know, another thing we do with that too is that you think about repairs and things like that is the nice thing about the program is it has allowances for uh, for spares, like a spare pool that's built in. Because when you start chopping everything up into a monthly payment, like if you say, hey, write me an $800,000 check, that's hard to do. But if it's like the difference between, you know, paying, you know, seven grand a month or $7,120 a month, you can kind of bury in a spare pool model. And we've got um, an allowance that does that uh, as part of the program too. Wow. That, you know, speed is king, right? Especially, I'm sure you guys were affected somewhere along the line with the you know, supply chain and lack of stuff showing up when it's supposed to and delays and all this, whatever. I mean, wasn't I'm sure it wasn't you. It was the fact that it never turned up, right? Like the manufacturer couldn't get their stuff to you, right? So that's the f- most frustrating part when you're in the, when you need it and it's just, you're on hold. Yeah, I think everybody was affected by supply chain. It's, we're still not out of the woods. Though the, um, I would say the device side of the business has then been flowing much better recently some of the networking uh, product lines, we're still seeing uh, some backlog for sure. So weird that all the, like, I feel like it's all coming from the same manufacturing plant somewhere, you know, and it just, they're behind, but yeah. okay. I digress. Better. I mean, I was recently at uh, just for example, the HPE conference and a Cisco conference, and they talked very specifically about their strategies to help with supply chain long-term, like, you know, to build redundancies in and eliminate those, those points. I mean, who knew? We always reserve the right to get smarter as an industry, right? And and same goes for them. And uh, I was really impressed with some of the things they're doing to uh, improve, <laughs> future-proof that stuff. Uh, yeah, for some reason, like networking gear switches was one. You know what? Another one that was really odd that everybody talked about for a long time? Monitors. Like, yeah. for some reason, you just couldn't ever find monitors. And then... I love yeah. some of the manufacturers, like when you put in, like even like, especially server orders, sometimes it was like four five, six months, like took a long time. Yeah. Lots of the components, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the pandemic and then labor shutdowns and things like that. It definitely so many reasons of just a perfect storm of uh, supply chain issues for sure. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear it's a little bit better. Um, when you, and well, then- in LA, you can pull, there's no waiting Pull right up to the berth. Wow. I mean, remember, Keith, there was like 200 boats off the shore at one point. 
Well, yeah, they um, the the contracts up for renewal, and so the oh. um, Steamadors and uh, redirected them to the Gulf, um, which then ran into two weather systems, and the Gulf doesn't dredge their ports for super tankers because they have the Abercrombies and and all that other stuff. So that's why you have a leather shortage. Crops rotting on the boat, but um, right now in LA, Long Beach, as of yesterday, it was a it was a zero wait time for a birth assignment. Wow, that's awesome! First time in many years, many months. Let's hope it stays um, that way. We really appreciate to not have more problems there. Jason, how does it work when an MD comes and asks for like a credit line with DNH? How does that like you know? I assume you're giving that out, and I'm sure there's an application, but it's available, yeah. Yeah, we've extended just uh, in the past year over $400 million in additional downstream credit. We're pretty flexible. Um, you know, a guy named Matt Riley uh, runs our credit department. The guy's fantastic. I, I've, I've never worked someplace where they're so flexible with the credit. Uh, he comes up with creative solutions for people that have these huge one-off deals that happen. It's always a good thing, right? But um, it is almost never that I hear us say no to people, right? So it's pretty easy to get a net 30 terms line set up with us and get rolling. That's awesome. And then, you know, I like I, last time I checked, I think your company is like employee owned. I remember every time I talk to somebody, they're like, yeah, I'm a part owner of the company. I'm like, how does that work? But apparently that's how you're set up. Yeah, it's, it's a neat status. And I would actually encourage MSPs to, to talk to us about it. Right. Dan and Michael Schwab, our co-presidents, love to talk with partners one on one about the structure, but it's called an ESOP. And uh, essentially, uh, 36% of the profits are distributed amongst all of the co-owners. Everybody's a co-owner, um, you know, that works for the company. And it goes into an account and then, uh, you know, is invested. So it's kind of, you know, it, it, you basically have equity. And I think it, it breeds a good culture. Like, we really are, we're, we're not a public company. So we don't have to answer to Wall Street, right, or a PE firm. We're not, you know, of course, we have quarters like everybody, but you know, we're focused on long-term decisions that are right for our company and for our partners. And we don't have, um, we don't have to answer to anybody else. So it's a neat structure. That's awesome. Well, not, I, I know a lot of people have dabbled in that. I mean, I know there's a lot of complexities to it, but you know, kind of like a built-in, like, you know, Hey, you're an employee, but also you have a stake in the company. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And I think it, it reads a good culture. They really, you know, I really have enjoyed the culture coming in and the way we take care of our partners you know, both in the vendor and the MSP side. And then, um, you know, really just, I mean, we turn the lights out when we walk out of a conference room, right? Because we know that it saves a few pennies, right? And, and that kind of stuff makes a difference. The way people treat uh, the money as if it's theirs because it is theirs, right? It's the work. You guys do a bunch of events throughout the year, right? I know you had a big one in Hershey and I wasn't able to make that one, but, you know, looks, I think you, you have like an annual event now and then you have kind of like a roadshow thing. How does that work? Yeah, we do a number of them. I mean, we have two big ones that we call the thread events, right? We did Anaheim and Hershey this year. Uh, we have a lot of small and regional events. We do city socials. In fact, there's one coming up in Houston, um, December 7th, right? Along with the Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Uh, but we do city socials around, which kind of one, you know, one day or one afternoon type of events. Um, and then we also have our partner fight community. So if you're interested in a, a community group that you know, like-minded people sharing best practices, you know, a lot of perks and, uh, you know, key information from our vendor partners in there. You know, PartnerFi has really taken off as a, as a great uh, a great peer-to-peer -peer community group that we've got as well. And we do events with them, so. That's awesome. So you guys are out there and you're trying to build into the community, which is great. 
So where do you think 2023 goes? Big picture. Flat, growth, decline. I know it's everybody's guess and can turn on any financial news channel and hear them too, but big picture, gut feeling. Where do you think we end up at the end of 23? Well, we're planning on growth for sure. Um, you know, and some of that growth is going to be you know, market-driven based on some of the areas we're investing in, such as managed services, right? That's a growth area, such as cloud that continues to grow, um, you know, such as video collaboration as people kind of, you know, perfect the hybrid work. Those are areas we're seeing grow like crazy. We're also, uh, you know, I think, too, that, you know, now there's been some consolidation in the distribution industry, too. There's some folks that are knocking on our door saying, hey, we want to we want to work with you a little more at DNH, right? And you know, we're, uh, uh, you know, approaching $6 billion in revenue. So we're big enough to be able to have resources and, and, and you know, thankfully the capabilities to really take care of our partners. And we're uh, humbled and honored to be rewarded with some increase in business as a result of some of these market trends like that. So I think it's going to be both organic and, uh, you know, just people uh, looking at what we're doing over here. That's awesome. Well, I'm excited for that then. I know you guys also just built a brand new warehouse out in that area too, which is awesome. You know, I, I think that was the year before, right? So just been on an upward trajectory, which is great. I, I'm excited for, you know, the next few years only because, hey, if it, if it isn't worth doing, you know, it's usually hard if it's worth doing, right? If it's easy, then everybody can do it. Uh, but I do know that people are going to struggle in the community, right? I mean, some businesses, you know, like, Nobody expected what COVID was going to be, and they just were in the wrong verticals, you know, heavy, you know, heavily focused. And, you know, that just was, you know, I don't, wasn't that long ago that a lot of people were like, hey, you need to, you know, be focused in the specific, you know, industry. And then that way you can, you know, you know, double down on your efforts and grow through that bubble. And then, you know, I feel like in COVID, after COVID, everybody flipped that around. It's like, oh, no, you need to diversify. You need to be in a little bit of everything. And I'm like, so which one is it, guys? Let's make up our mind, right? But, um, you know, I think, you know, I do subscribe to the, you know, all boats, you know, can, you know, can, you know, float higher together as a group. I, I, I do love the IT channel community that we're all a part of. I think last week was a strong representation of that, right? You know, just a lot of smart people talking about all sorts of different scenarios. To me, I still think that's the best way to learn. I mean, I'm all for learning from experts and jumping into a breakout session somewhere, but you know, when I get into a parking lot, I talk to Keith Nelson, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I didn't think about it that way. And, you know, then you hear from real world experience. So, you know, but, I, you know, all that being said, I, I do think that if everybody's rowing in the same direction, you can kind of balance out kind of some of how the market, you know, fluctuations are. And I also think that, you know, and, and we had Ole on last week from uh, Avaca out in uh, California. He, he kind of made a good point. He's like, you know, the channel's kind of like a train, right? And like sometimes the MSP community is kind of at the back of that train and the, you know, the couple, you know, the couplings in between the cars haven't smushed all together yet before we felt the effect at the end, right? <laughs> so that's, so it was a great, it was a great analogy. I've never heard that particular one. I totally subscribe to it. I wonder, you know, from a technology standpoint, you know, <clears throat> we're seeing, and I hear it all over the place, 10% cut here, 15% cut here, 20% cut here. I know Twitter is a unique situation, 75% of the company, but I just feel like all of a sudden there's going to be a lot more people on the street and like the, the mark, the, the employment market's going to shift the other way, but there's going to be a lot more people looking for jobs than jobs are available. So all signs are pointing that way, George. I, I think you're, you're right. Yeah. I just, you know, I just think that, you know, 
moving forward, I know everybody has their their way that they see the world. I, you know, I liked how Oli presented it last call, Keith. Uh, by the way, how was his event? I know he had his what? Four, uh, four you know, they are they are truly awesome people, and I can't say enough about them. Rex with Frank was there. Awesome. Uh, Kevin flew out. Um, they're just they're just a great, respectable MSP. They're they're really um, quite a quite an organization, and um, they do some amazing things. They have a really good sock there, so on. Um, just parlaying into the layoffs, you go, but you got to look what Amazon and Twitter's an anomaly. I mean, that's just a mess. Let's just forget that because I don't think we get any financial information from that. But if you look deep at what like Amazon was doing, they they're really getting rid of stuff they were speculative on, right? You know, you're, the layoffs are not really in the warehouse as much as some of the, you know, the prime TV and the prime sports, and it was dig down and you'll look and see a lot of these guys were betting on unlimited growth with unlimited government spending. And um, I'm not sure that we're hitting the core yet um, with the layoffs. And, and so as you read down the technology layoffs, I think it was stuff that people were leaning towards, you know, um, I think we'll still have a, a good, um, There'll be a good market. There'll be some cleanups. You'll have to make, you know, you have to be in business to make money. And that's always the case. Um, but as there are those layoffs, the systems don't go away, right? You still have to run your POS system. You still have to run your security. Um, and so um, it probably scales better with an MSP who can fill those gaps. Yeah, that's a good point. I wonder when Walmart is going to accept cards with the wave, right? You can't use Apple pay. You can't use Amber. You can't do the wave. You have to plug it in. It, it reminds me of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like for the longest time, they're one of the few professional sporting stadiums where they only took cash. Like when can we make sure that they can keep some tech people on there to fix that part? Can we do that? Uh, George Pepe's man. What can I say guys, I really appreciate you guys for jumping out again. If you came out last week and we saw you, that was, just epic. I think we, we, we create a little bit of channel history last week. Never going to forget that one. If you're in Florida or Atlanta, we're literally rolling through your town. Love to see you guys come out. Channelstrongtour.com. Hit up DNH. Check them out. If you're like, have some questions, you'll rewind this session and maybe go back and pick some of Jason's words apart and then go back and say, what did you mean by this? Or just hit him up. I'm sure you can, you know, he's on all the platforms. I promise you, you can reach him. Uh, or hit him up via email. He gave his email out earlier. And for everyone else, hey, we're still doing these sessions Tuesdays, Thursdays, one o'clock Eastern time. They're all being posted online. <clears throat> Let's get to the end of the year intact, right? I want to close out 2022 strong because 2023 is a little bit of a question mark. And, you know, rather be in a solid position to move forward than guessing game. So nobody likes quicksand. And the more partners you have to help you get where you're trying to go, the better off it is because Nobody has all the resources to do it all on their own. That's a fact. All right, guys. Appreciate your time. Jason, thanks for jumping on. Catch you guys on the flip side. Thank you, George. Great times. Thanks, man. See ya. Take care.